Anybody else want to join the church and sing a special next Sunday? Actually, not next Sunday, because Darren, you're up next Sunday. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I wish y'all could have seen his face. Being a pastor is a hard job sometimes, but moments like that make it worth it. <clears throat> but uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 4 for the last time, I think, if I can finish this sermon this morning. Um, we have spent the last two weeks, well, actually, we've spent the last several weeks going over this, since we are, since I arrived, we were going through this, the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and we've, we've been looking at a lot of different things in this book, but the main thing that we're seeing is how we are to be the church together. We're looking at that, being the church together. In the last two weeks, we looked at choosing peace over conflict. And we saw how there are times when we have disagreements. Anytime we're in relationship, there are going to be disagreements. And we have to choose to have peace in that relationship despite the disagreements. We have to choose to love each other, to serve each other, to, to comfort one another. All the one another's that are in Scripture, we have to choose to do those things even when we disagree. And so that's what we've been looking at the last two weeks is choosing peace over conflict. And if you miss any of these sermons, then you can go to our website, mansfieldfbc.com, and they're on there. Um, all the sermons from this series are on there. And so um, feel free to, to go and, and, and check those out. Um, this week, our last sermon in this series, in, in this letter that Paul wrote, um, we're going to talk about contentment and choosing contentment over craving, over dissatisfaction, over um, lust, over desiring something that we don't have. And so choosing contentment over craving. And we, we ju- we're jumping in here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. And Paul says... He's transitioning because he's been talking about this disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche. And he's been talking about how they can choose to get along even in their disagreement. And he, he's telling them how the peace of God can be with them and how the God of peace can be with them. And, and he, he's going to transition now to a conclusion to this letter. And he wants to say one more thing before the closing. He wants to tell the Philippians, thank you, one more time. And we've talked about the the close relationship that the Apostle Paul had with the church at Philippi. And we're going to see even more details to why that relationship was so close. And maybe the fruit of it being so close here in in these last verses. So in Philippians chapter 4 verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity." So when he says that, first of all, he's rejoicing again. We see this theme of rejoicing throughout this letter. And no matter the circumstances, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And yet he's still rejoicing. And he he rejoiced at the moment when he he realized that the Philippians were reviving their concern for him. And so um, church history would tell us that the Philippians basically just lost track of Paul. They didn't know where he was. He was always moving around starting new churches and helping people in need and that kind of thing. And 
they just lost track of where he was for a couple of years. And it wasn't like today where you could just pick up a cell phone and give a call or shoot a text or get on Facebook if you haven't seen someone in, in a little while to catch up. Um, they, they, there was no communication of that sense. And so they had lost track of him. And he's saying, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Okay, so this is actually, as we read this, you're going to see this is a thank you. He's ending this letter with a thank you for the Philippians having concern for him, reviving their concern for him. And they were uh, financially helping provide for him. As you remember earlier in the letter, they had sent Epaphroditus, one of the church members, to go, especially since Paul is in prison, and to be there for him, to serve him in whatever way that he can. And Paul is saying, thank you, but at the same time, Paul seems a lot like me. Like, I love giving gifts. I love giving gifts. I love to see the look on people's faces when they get them. I love trying to find out, like, what someone would like in order to get them that thing. I I enjoy giving gifts. I'm not so good at receiving gifts. I feel awkward. I I never know if I have shown my appreciation in an appropriate way. And anybody else ever feel that? Just the awkwardness about receiving gifts. And so I think Paul would be in that same boat because he's, he is thankful, but at the same time, he's like, but, but don't get me wrong. I, I have everything I need in God, but I do thank you for giving me this gift also. And so there's a little, I would say, awkwardness to this. But if you've ever received a gift, then you understand that that how that can be a little awkward. But at the same time, simultaneously, while you're feeling the awkwardness, you're feeling gratefulness. And you're feeling thankfulness that someone would think of you in that way. That someone would want to partner with you, in Paul's case, want to partner with you in that way. Um, that they love you enough and care for you enough to, to give to you. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what our financial status is, no matter how our health is, that we have learned to be content? In whatever situation. If we're honest, for me, sometimes I have a hard time with that. Sometimes my circumstances affect my contentment more than it should. When things are going great, it's easy to be content. When things aren't, it can be difficult. When I have a little padding in the checking account, and I don't have to worry how I'm going to pay the next bill, very easy to trust God in a moment like that. When I see that the amount in my checking account is not the amount that is needed to cover the month's expenses, it's a little harder to feel the same contentment in that moment than it is when you're living in abundance. But just because it's harder doesn't mean that it's something that we should not strive for. We should strive for that. We should strive to feel the same contentment in, in Christ and in God, we should strive to feel the same contentment whether we have a lot or whether we have a little or nothing. We should strive to feel the same peace 
continuing that theme that we talked about the last couple of weeks. We should strive to feel the same peace in those hard and difficult moments that we do in moments of abundance. And that's where Paul is going to talk about. He's going to talk about these things right here in these uh, verses. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, I grew up poor. Some of you are there with me, right? You grew up poor. Um, Others, maybe you grew up wealthy. I'll be honest. It's easier for me to feel um, at peace when I don't have money sometimes than when I have so much money I don't know what to do with it. There have been very few times in my life where I've had that problem. But... um, because I was, I grew up that way, because I was raised that way, it's, I'm fine with being poor the rest of my life if that was what God desires for me. Although I'm not poor right now. And as we've talked about in the past, if you live in America, the odds are that can, compared to many other places in the world, you are extremely wealthy. And we should be content wherever we are. That's what this message is about. But um, I feel... And this is not an exaggeration. I feel more comfortable. I've been to third world countries where people didn't live in homes. They they just lived. They had these makeshift poles with the the rich people had a piece of tin over the the roof for the roof, but most people just had something thatched together. And I felt more comfortable in those places than I have in some of the wealthier situations I've found myself in. So we're, we're all different. We all find comfort in different ways and in different places. But what Paul is saying here is, is that he's found a way to be content no matter his situation. And by the way, I feel most comfortable when I have air conditioning, a shower that, that I, I don't have to bathe out of a bucket. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I bet Terry and Nan really know about that being in Africa for so long. Um, but I, I definitely am an American and have comforts that I enjoy and prefer and and if God desires for me to live my life without those things then so be it but I'm you know very grateful for the blessings that God has given us in 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 our country and um for Rose and I for our family I'm very grateful for the blessings he's given us but this but we have to learn to be content no matter if we're being brought low or we're abounding he says I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Whatever season God has us in in life, we have to learn to be content with what he has given us. And here's what I've learned. I'm only 35, so I have a lot more to learn. But here's what I've learned so far in my life. I've learned that if I can't be content where I'm at, I'm probably not going to be content if I get the thing I'm longing for. You've heard, you know, all the stories that there was a wealthy man and um, someone asked him if he's made enough money and he said no. And he said, when, when will you know that you have enough? And he says, when I have more. Well, we're always going to be wanting more if that's our attitude. 
we're never going to be content with what we have if we think we always need more. And as Americans, this is something that we're very guilty of, is always thinking that we need more to be happy. And again, um, I'm as guilty as the next person. But, you know, Rose and I, when we were first married, um, we had a certain income, and we thought that, you know, we should live like we had this income. And so we got ourselves into some debt. And then we spent the next 10 years getting out of that debt, you know, the next 10 years of our marriage getting out of that debt. And so what happened is, is we had to make some difficult decisions. We had to choose not to have cable or satellite, you know, this, and some of this, you know, this was before Netflix. So we, we, had, we had nothing but each other's company. Which, I mean, if you're going to have somebody's company, <laughs> best moments of my life. <laughs> See if I can dig myself out of that hole. But anyway, um, but we had to choose, you know, there were times when we had to choose, um, you have to choose those moments of when you need something and when, when it's a want. You have to know when to be content. I remember one time, Rose and I, this wasn't that long ago, actually, we, but we were still, we, we, we just try to live frugally anyway, but um, we, uh, I had to go out of town, so I took our newer of the two vehicles, and Rose had this old car um, that was handed down to us and was, uh, it was a clunker, okay? It just wasn't in good shape. And uh, Rose, I get home and, and Rose tells me uh, she was in the Walmart parking lot and she tapped the brakes and the brakes wouldn't work. And she had John Michael as a baby in the car with her. And she said, um, you can keep working out of town, but you're not taking the Jeep anymore. <laughs> you're taking this car. And so she said, or you can go buy me a new one. So, you know, there came a point where we needed another vehicle, where we had to upgrade. So I'm not saying there aren't times for necessities, there aren't time to live in abundance. If you have abundance and you want to go, for example, a couple of weeks ago I was at the pawn shop here in Mansfield, the large establishment that we have, and talking to the, the guy there, and we were having a great conversation. He was talking about his son and how much he loves four-wheelers. And I've moved away from my family who has four-wheelers. And so here now I'm here, and I'm thinking, hmm, I need a four-wheeler. But I don't need a four-wheeler, right? And we're not in a place of abundance where we can afford a four-wheeler. And so I knew that that wasn't a smart decision, so I went and bought one. No, I'm just playing. I didn't. Um, you know, I, I went home and told Rose, you know what? When we have enough money, I'm going to get me a four-wheeler one day. And it's okay to to want other things as long as you're content where you are. It's okay if you love fishing to go buy you a boat. If you have the money and you are fiscally responsible and this fits within your budget, for some of you it doesn't. Don't go buy a boat and say that your pastor told you to. But it's okay to live in abundance when those times are there and not feel guilty about it. But you also need to know that you have a responsibility as a Christian to care for those who are not as fortunate, to care for those who are in need. And we live in a you know, democratic republic where we are not communist, right? We don't give, everybody gives money to the government and then the government disperses 
income as seats fit or anything like that. We don't think that's a wise idea. That's not wise. We've seen throughout history how that has worked out for countries. I'm, I'm glad that we live in a democracy. But we also, as Christians, our number one authority is not democracy. It's the Bible. And so when we see people in need, when we see people hungry, when we see people who need clothing, when we see people who are less fortunate than us, then we need to meet those needs. And it can be difficult because there have been times in our life where Rose and I were fine financially. We had plenty of money to pay our bills and everything, um, but we were living extremely frugally. And there would be people who had gotten themselves into financial spare who made two or three times as much as us at some some points um who needed help and we had to determine in that case do you help in a situation like that where someone has got themselves into trouble and you know they have money they've just not chose they've not chosen or just have not been educated in a way where they knew how to spend that money appropriately and how to save and how to do those kind of things and so we all have to make decisions on an individual basis. When we have family, when we have friends, when we have fellow church members who find themselves in, in need, then we have to make the decision of what to do in those situations. And personally, I always want to err on the side of grace. If I'm not sure what I should do, usually I just help. Because I would rather help and be taken advantage of and that be on me, then not help, and that person be in need, and I didn't do anything. And so personally, that's just, I feel like that's what Jesus did in situations. He, he would heal. He would give graciously. He would, give, you know, do those things. Uh, but I also think that when the case permits, we should be smart. We should be frugal. We should be good stewards of what God has given us. And... And not only do we need to be, as Christians, in a place where we're content with what we have and where we are and the financial status and all of those things, but we need to try to put ourselves in a place where we can help others. But we also have to realize that we can't be prideful when the time comes when we're the ones needing the help. Paul was a tent maker. It doesn't tell us that here in this text, but we see in other scripture that Paul had a job that he would do when he needed to provide for himself. But then there were times when Paul didn't have to make tents because there were people who were providing for his ministry, like the Philippians here. We, we learned that they helped. There were times when he had abundance. And so we have to learn how to be ready for all seasons. We have to learn to be content with what we have. And, and we have to decide, you know... <laughs> When is it best for us to spend our money on a boat? The example I used earlier. And when is it best for us to provide for ministry and ministers and missions and things like that? Um, You know, the Bible gives us a responsibility to support, for example, our local church to to do that. And the Old Testament is called a tithe. And, you know, Rose and I... um, I, when I got saved, I was when I became a Christian, I was 17 years old. And I just took what the Bible said and said, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I've always tithed. And then I married Rose. Um, and she came from a family who believed 
that you should give to the church. And so we've just always done that. So there's never been a difficulty for us trying to get to a place where we are giving a certain amount because we came into our marriage determined to do that. And so we never missed that money because we were already giving. And so now we're in a place financially where we can also do more than that, where we can help people who are going on mission trips and help people who are in need. And, and we've always tried to do that, but we're in a place now, not because we're making more. We actually took a pay cut to come here. Um, but because we've been so smart with our money and, and handling with what, what God has given us and not living beyond our means for so long that we're able to help. And for me, and I, I'm, I'm going to speak for Rose here, but I'm, I'm assuming it's the same, but I have so much joy knowing that I can be a part of the work that God is doing through friends and family and throughout the world and through this church and through the cooperative program, when when you give in the offering plate at this church, a certain percentage of that goes to the cooperative program to help with ministry needs here in Arkansas and throughout the world. And historically, Baptists have done a great job of cooperating and doing things together. If you've ever been in um, Baptist Hospital in Little Rock, raise your hands. Okay, several of you. Well... Baptist started that hospital. Um, how many of you know about the Arkansas Baptist Children's Home? Okay, Rose and I used to live in a town where, where one of the homes existed, and we got to see these kids come from rough situations, some orphans, but, but mostly just kids who come from very rough situations that have, for some reason, had to be taken out of the home for a certain amount of time. Arkansas Baptist Children's Home, that's a cooperative program. We started that. And we, can, we still give, we still support um, ABCH. And so not only stuff right here in our state, but throughout the world. We send missionaries all throughout the world. But we can't do that if we're not all participating, if we're not all cooperating. I, I don't want us to be in a place where all of our money goes to pay the staff, keep the lights on, keep the building up. If we get to that point, then we probably need to sell our building to a congregation who can support this building and give toward what God is doing in ministry beyond this building. We, we, we can't get to a place where all of our money goes to staying in this building. Because if that's what we've done, we've just become a country club, not a church. We've just come, become a place where we want to take care of our building and our things and make them as nice as possible. And we've neglected the mission, the, the purpose of the church. And so we have to be careful as a church to make sure that we're content in all situations, but that we don't lose sight of our focus and our mission, which is for us to know him and to make him known throughout the world. And so we can't lose sight of that. I better look at a clock because, uh, yeah, better continue. All right. <clears throat> so, verse 13, a verse that we take out of context time and time again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we, 
nothing wrong with this if, if you understand the context and, and you have the right heart about it. But if, like, we'll write this, uh, Tim Tebow would write it on his eye black, you know, Philippians 4.13. Um, we put it on plaques and set it on our desks or, you know, on our walls or whatever. And just like some of these other verses that we've looked at. And in the context, what Paul is saying is, is that he can do, he can be a person who can be content with nothing because he can do all things through Christ. He can be a person who can be content with abundance because he is a person who can do all things through Christ. And so if you want to use it in sports, then that's fine. But the way we have to use it is I can be a person who wins by 20 because I can do all things through Christ, but I can also be the person who loses by 20 because I can do all things through Christ. Whatever God's plan is for your life, whatever his purpose is, wherever he takes you, then we have to be content with where that road leads. Now, we, that doesn't mean we have to be satisfied in our sin when we make wrong choices, when other people wrong us. We don't have to be happy about those things. We should fight against our sin. We should strive to obey God and to be the type of people that he tells us to be in his word. But we also have to be content no matter what life brings at us in the sense of I have joy even in the midst of pain. I trust Jesus even though everything around me looks like it's fallen apart. And so we have to be the type of people like Paul who can say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so what are you facing in your life right now? What are you going through? Do you have plenty? Are you in need? Can you say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So here again, this is him returning thanks for them helping him. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Okay? We might not ever be in a place where we're wealthy, or at least by our standards, um, but that doesn't mean we can't, even in our own struggles, help those who are in need. Help those who are struggling even more than us. You know, we can decide we can, of what we can do without in our lives in order to help people who need help. And so, it was kind of you to share my trouble, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... Um, So Macedonia is kind of like the region in which Philippi lies. And so, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So Philippi was the only church supporting Paul at this time. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Thessalonica is a few towns over. And we have the letter to the Thessalonians, so Paul planted a church there. And when he was there, it was the church at Philippi who was helping support his needs. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, do we believe that Paul is honest, or is he just saying these things um, in order to be a good politician and, and get more money given to him? Because I believe that Paul is honest. I believe when he says, not that I seek the gift, that he truly means he is content whether he gets the gift or not. But he desires for his friends at the church of Philippi 
for them to be obedient in a way and to live by faith in a way, even in finance, when fi- where finances are concerned, he desires for them to live by faith in a way where they it benefits them to give. Because, to be honest, everything we own belongs to God anyway. It, you know, in the Old Testament, yes, they were they they were told to give, you know, a tenth of their income to the Levites, the priests, and, and that kind of thing. And then you, you were to give this offering at this time and this offering at that time. And, and we're not held to that law anymore. We don't have to give those sacrifices, those offerings anymore in order to fulfill some kind of rule system or law. But if we love Jesus and if we want to follow him and if we want to live by faith, then living by faith includes our finances also. It includes us being content in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain. And so we can't separate that part of our life, even though as Americans we would like to, we can't. And so Paul is saying that he is glad that the Philippians are giving because they are going to receive blessing, even more contentment, even more peace. They are going to receive those things from, from God if they're giving. And now we want to give with a cheerful heart. Scripture makes that clear. That we don't want to go, oh, this person's in need. I guess I need to help them. You know, that's going to make the other person feel bad. And you're not going to receive blessing out of it. We want to give with a cheerful heart. But I will say, if you have to choose between obeying God and giving or not giving, then I think giving is the answer, is the way to go. But we should strive to give with a cheerful heart. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases. To your credit. We think about what we are doing for the other person when we give. But God works with a different economy. And he tells us that he will bless us when we are blessing others. This is a basic tenet of Christianity and, and even before Christ came in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham is told in Genesis chapter 12 that uh, I will bless you and you are to bless others and anyone who blesses you back then they'll be blessed and anyone who curses you will be cursed. And so it is our job to bless others. It is a gift. It's, it's part of the privilege of being a Christian is that God uses us to do his will and to bless others. We get to be a part of that blessing. And, and it increases to our credit. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering. Remember, Epaphroditus is the guy that the Philippians sent to Paul to serve him. And he took gifts to Paul and, and to help Paul to live. And he, Paul is saying, hey, I received those gifts, and it was a fragrant offering. Going back to the Old Testament, there was the altar of incense where they would burn these incense, and it would be a way for them to worship God. And he's saying that their worship, their obedience, and helping him, helping Paul, that it was a fragrant offering. It is a way for us to worship. When we come here together and we give an offering, that is a way for us to worship. And then it's our job as a church to make sure that we are using that money, spending that money in a stewardly, in a good way, that we are helping people in need, that we are 
making missions happen, you know, from here throughout the world, that we are being responsible with our money. And it's also our responsibility outside of this congregation when we see needs, individual needs, for us to meet those needs individually if God has enabled us to do so. And so, when we do that, it's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this says need. And the needs from a, God's, um, a God view, they, they can be different from needs from our view. Okay, around Christmas, we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Lottie Moon was a missionary in China. She was a single lady who spent her life serving others in China. And um, she not only told them the gospel and shared Jesus with them, but when she was given money and food, she shared that with people. In fact, she shared it so much that some of her missionary friends found out that she was giving away her food, she was down to 50 pounds. She was 72 years old. And they were sending her home when she passed away. She literally gave her life out of joy, out of contentment, <laughs> to serve others. What can we give? What can we give from our life to serve others? And are we doing it with joy? Are we serving people the way that we should? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God knows what our needs are, and he will give them to us. But what we have to realize is that what we think is a need and what God thinks is a need can be different. Jesus, do you believe that the Father supplied all the needs of the Son? I do, but he still died on a cross. Do we believe that God provided all the needs of the disciples? I do. But they were still martyred for their faith in Jesus. Do you believe that God provided the needs of Lottie Moon? I do. But she still gave her life in service to him and in service to others. So are we giving our all? And this isn't a guilt sermon, okay? This is just me saying that... We definitely need to do a better job of being content with what we have, and we need to do a better job of figuring out how to give to others. And we need to figure out how to do it with a joyful heart. And here's what I am going to tell you, that there have been times in my life and rows in our lives where giving was not joyful because it's hard to give to others when you don't even know how you're going to pay your bills. It's hard to be faithful when you're not even sure, like, if you're going to be taken care of. And it was a lack of faith on our part, but it was where we were. And you can't change your maturity by snapping your fingers. You are who you are, and you, you go through seasons of life where you are. And all I can say is whatever you're doing now, do a little more. Make yourself a little more uncomfortable. And I'm not even just talking about to this church or so I can have a bigger salary. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't care what my salary is. I'll find a way to provide for my family wherever I am, and I'm going to be content with whatever God has for me. What I'm talking about is, how can we do more as a church for our community and for the nations? And so, I know that if we are faithful, God is going to be faithful. He's going to provide our needs. So, let's close this out. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So it's back to unity. (laughs) Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, all of you who are reading this letter, greet everyone. Tell them I love them. Tell them hi. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember, Paul is imprisoned, and some of the people in Caesar's house have become Christians because they've seen Paul's faith in the midst of his despair. And he's saying that the the Christians in Caesar's household greet you. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so, leave here today with the grace of the Lord with knowing that you have been blessed and that he is using you to bless others. And I know that, look, I'm not trying to say that you guys aren't faithful already. I know that many of you are, and I have no idea what people give or how they give, but you see things. I see hand-in-hand ministry. I see, you know, Jimmy and others driving to Fort Smith and spending their own money to, to get food in order to bring back to Mansfield to give it away for free to those who need food. I see Nan and others working in the clothes closet. By the way, there's an announcement later that she might need some help with that. But um, I see us clothing people who need clothes. I see us doing these things. I just want to make sure that we're all being faithful with what God has called us to do and that we are doing as much as we possibly can because I believe that, that this church can be a lighthouse shining its beacon for everyone in this area. If they need help, they know where to go for it. That God is going to use the people of Mansfield First Baptist Church to meet needs in our area. And if not just physical needs, but spiritual needs. Not just financial needs, but spiritual needs. All right. We're going to have a time of invitation. And dear, this invitation... If God has challenged you in any way, if you need to spend some time praying at the altars, then feel free to do that. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be this type of person. But I don't even, I haven't even started having a relationship with God yet. What does that look like? Then I'm here if you want to talk to me about that. Um, whatever is going on in your life, if you need prayer or you need someone to talk to, I'll be right here and the altars will be open for anyone who wants to pray. Maybe you need, you know, personally know people right now who need support. And you're, you want to pray that God would provide that support. You know he's going to answer those prayers. You know he'll provide their needs. But you want to pray for them anyway. This is the time for, for that. Let's pray and then we'll have our time of invitation.